I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, holding on hope. International mediators weigh in on the war in the Middle East as the truce between Israel and Hamas reaches its last day. We have the latest. A push for freedom. U.S. lawmakers are demanding the release of American hostages held by Hamas, what they expect from the Biden administration. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales has the details. Pro-life progress. How a new study proves a massive increase in births after the overturning of Roe versus Wade. We have analysis. And honoring a legacy. Why a Scottish soccer club earns an audience with the Pope. These stories add more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us. Our top story tonight, day six of an extended truce between Israel and Hamas has come to a close. And the world waits to see if the fighting will resume when the deadline expires or if peace will prevail for another day. The break in hostilities has allowed for the daily exchanges of Hamas-held hostages and Palestinian prisoners. Today was no exception. Hamas has freed 14 people, 10 Israelis, and four Thai nationals. After today's releases, roughly 150 hostages are believed to remain in captivity. As those releases happen, there is growing concern over members of the Bibas family, which includes the youngest Israeli hostage, a 10-month-old boy, and his four-year-old brother. The Israel Defense Forces are assessing Hamas claims made without evidence that the mother and two young sons were killed in an Israeli airstrike. The status of their father is unknown. Hamas continues to release hostages. However, very few have been Americans. Republican lawmakers are demanding the Biden administration do more to secure the release of the Americans held captive, especially after a top Iranian official sent a stark warning about the fate of American hostages. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales has that story. Good evening, Tracy. An unknown number of U.S. hostages remain in the hands of Hamas, and they may not be coming home anytime soon. Earlier this month, the founder of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps said on Iranian state television that any U.S. military threats won't deter them. Our power is within our network in the region and also the hostages that we have. As soon as Americans attack our positions, we're going to kill all those hostages in 30 minutes. Republicans tell me President Biden should be demanding that all American hostages be released immediately. And there's no reason why the U.S. should be giving Iran any American tax dollars. Hamas is essentially the government of Gaza. Why would we ever even consider sending money there? while our own people are being held hostage. I mean, it's, it's a travesty. Others say this is an example of America being weak on the world stage. This is an American issue, but I think, you know, projecting weakness around the world, like we've seen with Iran, we saw in the withdrawal in Afghanistan, certainly doesn't help the cause. Meanwhile, Democrats came to President Biden's defense. Do you think the Biden administration needs to do more to get Americans out? I think the Biden administration is very intent on releasing Americans. I've spoken to the administration, national security staff at highest levels, and I think they'll continue to push for America. Republican Senator Tom Tillis tells me there needs to be urgency after he and others watched the uncensored video of the Hamas attacks. It was horrible, and I think anybody, anybody in this, in Capitol Hill, who thinks um, that there's any rationalization for the actions of Hamas, they need to watch that. I can't imagine any human being seeing what I saw and drawing that conclusion. 
Some former military experts claim Hamas may not know where all the hostages are being held. Iranian officials have certainly let their position be known. And I really hope that the day comes where we can kill all these American hostages. Some lawmakers tell me Hamas is hoping to bring enough international pressure against Israel to force its prime minister not to resume military action. We are already seeing demonstrations across the country increase, calling for a ceasefire in the region. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly. Well, as Congress continues to battle over aid to Israel and getting hostages freed from Hamas, the nation's highest-ranking Jewish lawmaker took to the floor to decry the rise of hate crimes against Jewish people. Obviously, many of those marching here in the U.S. do not have any evil intent. But when Jewish people hear chants like from the river to the sea, a founding slogan of Hamas, a terrorist group that is not shy about their goal to eradicate the Jewish people in Israel and around the globe, we are alarmed. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer adds anti-Semitism has been rising not only in the U.S., but also around the world. He notes the Jewish people have been targeted throughout history, including his own ancestors. In a rare sign of bipartisan support, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell praised his Democratic colleague's emotional address. Secretary of State Antony Blinken plans to meet tomorrow with members of the Israeli government. The White House says this will be his fourth trip to the Middle East since the October 7th terrorist attack. And there is a lot that he wants to accomplish. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Good evening to you, Tracy. Tonight, Secretary Blinken says the U.S. and Israel are both intensely focused on bringing hostages home. And he wants people to know they're working on that every single day. In addition, he wants to build a path to a lasting peace in the Middle East. On a trip to NATO, Secretary of State Antony Blinken also responds to the war between Israel and Hamas. The U.S. supports a longer ceasefire. We'd like to see the pause extended because what it has enabled, first and foremost, is hostages being released, coming home, being reunited with their families. It's also enabled us to, uh, to surge humanitarian assistance into the people of Gaza who so desperately need it. The State Department says Secretary Blinken will meet with leaders in Israel and the West Bank. His goals? Secure the release of remaining hostages, protect civilian life, and accelerate humanitarian assistance. Secretary Blinken also keeps pushing for the creation of a future Palestinian state and the need to prevent the conflict from widening. Meanwhile, Blinken's boss, President Joe Biden in Colorado, touring the world's largest facility for wind tower manufacturing, undergoing a $200 million expansion, expected to create hundreds of jobs with help from the Inflation Reduction Act. As I said for a long time, when I think climate, and I mean this sincerely, I think jobs, jobs, that's what climate's about. Not only saving lives and saving the environment, but jobs. While in Pueblo, the president running for re-election, accusing Republicans of threatening his green agenda. The historic investments we're celebrating today is in Congressman Boebert's district. The GOP hitting back right in the wallet in this post on X, which references a CBS News report from today. Americans need an extra $11,400 today just to afford the basics. 
And also on X today, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, she ripped Bidenomics, saying working class families deserve better. Also tonight, President Biden announcing that he's sending Vice President Kamala Harris to the COP28 climate change conference in Dubai. She was not originally scheduled to attend that. President Biden made the decision after he was criticized for skipping that summit. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. An update to another major story that we continue to follow, the Holy Father's health. Today, Pope Francis took part in his weekly talk with pilgrims, but says that he is still not feeling well as he recovers from the flu and lung inflammation. The Holy Fathers, as a church, must be ready to go into the streets to foster unity. He also says talking with others is a way to help all of us keep our desire to be close to God. Parts of his address were read by an assistant. Pope Francis also watched as circus performers entertained the crowd. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including Race for the White House. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley receives a major endorsement. We have analysis. Plus... Congressman George Santos wants to set the record straight as he faces expulsion. for Prosperity Action, the political policy network founded by billionaire brothers Charles and David Koch officially endorsed Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley in her bid to win the nomination. With just seven weeks until the Iowa caucuses, the endorsement is seen as a major shakeup, providing Haley's campaign with significant organizational and financial support. Former President Donald Trump, the current GOP frontrunner, says the endorsement for Haley is a minor hit for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' campaign. All right, here now to weigh in is Christopher Bedford, executive editor at the Common Sense Society. Chris, great to have you back on. So what do you think this endorsement signals and what do you think this means for Haley's campaign moving forward? Uh, What I think most signals is the intellectual dishonesty and the difficulty connecting that the Kochs have had with their political operation. You know, when they first read, the first came out of the scene decades ago, they were hardcore libertarians, and they still kind of maintain that in a way. They primaried Ronald Reagan, for example, or ran against Ronald Reagan, excuse me, in 1984. But then they relaunched in 2010 around with the Tea Party, trying to get involved with that, trying to, that's where they got national attention. And they promised that they were going to be around for years to come. And then they quickly, after they got kind of pushed back from the Republicans, they didn't get everything they wanted. They retreated across the board politically, and that kind of earned them a lot of enemies here in Washington, D.C. Then after Donald Trump, which is someone who has protectionist trade policies, who's got a strong border policies, things that they're against, uh, they withdrew even further from Republican politics. What's surprising about Nikki Haley is she represents a lot of sort of the George W. Bush era Republican politics. She's extremely hawkish. She's uh, not that strong exactly on the border. She's certainly classic Republican on most of her business dealings. So it's strange to see a libert- an ostensibly libertarian organization backing her. I, I don't see it making a huge difference. It certainly won't help her in Trump world, where uh, the Kochs are perso- where, where Charles Koch and his group are persona non grata. Uh, and I, I'm, I'll struggle to see how it will help with the voters either. You know, Chris, do you think, though, you know, Haley is now seen as the new favorite of the GOP establishment as this kind of, you know, Trump alternative? And I'm wondering, what do you think about this 
as it pertains to DeSantis, this endorsement? Well, I think it does show that DeSantis is even more sidelined at this point. But but AFP was never—Americans for Prosperity Action was never going to back DeSantis, because DeSantis is someone who wants to use— uh, the tools of state and power to go after those things, those private corporations and others that he feels are attacking his citizens. Out in Florida, he went after Disney. He was unafraid to go after the cruise lines. Uh, Coke and basic Republican orthodoxy is they want to fight for the rights for corporations to be able to do basically whatever they want. They think that's kind of a, a conservative point of view, and Nikki Haley falls into that. Another thing that Nikki Haley really falls into right now, you just mentioned, is popularity, which makes me wonder exactly how much of that played into Americans for Prosperity's decision to endorse her. Is it just because she's on the uptick? Because she certainly doesn't align with what they've been directed towards over the last decade. Yeah, one thing I want to bring up, too, is uh, Americans for Prosperity Action said in its briefing statement that Americans were ready to move on from Trump. That said, Chris, do you think that's the case? Uh, no, <laughs> nor do the polls. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who may be tired of the back and forth. I think there's a lot of folks who may be an annoyed with, or, or tired of President Joe Biden's falling asleep on the world stage and don't want to get back into the back and forth fighting of Donald Trump. But the Republican primary voters back him strongly. And in recent polling over the last couple of weeks, we've really, you've started to see Trump beating Biden in head-to-head -head contests uh, and in the battleground states. You start to see Biden slipping in the polls and Trump rising. And there are people like DeSantis who really ought to have shown that they certainly occupy some of the same lane that Trump has. But their, their campaign so far has failed to launch when, when Trump takes all the oxygen out of the room, especially his prosecutions. And then there's people like Nikki Haley, who used to be a George Bush-style conservative and then were a Tea Party conservative and then was never Trump during the 2016 campaign and then was working for Trump after that and now is back to being never Trump, uh, the more malleable Republican politicians. But at the end of the day, Trump's, Trump's going to be the nominee, barring an act of God, and even could win this election. All right, Chris, we're going to leave it right there. Great to have you on, as always. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. House Democrats have put forward a privilege resolution to expel Republican Congressman George Santos. It comes two weeks after the House Ethics Committee issued a scathing report that claimed he used campaign money to pay for Botox and personal travel. To set the record straight and put this in the record, I will not be resigning. Are we to now assume that one is no longer innocent until proven guilty and they are in fact guilty until proven innocent? Unless Republicans proceed with another expulsion resolution first, a vote could take place tomorrow. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, pro-life in America. How many babies have been saved since the end of Roe? EWTN Pro-Life Weekly's Prudence Robertson unpacks a new study for us. Plus, here's the kicker. A famous soccer team meets Pope Francis. We have the details. that since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, states with restrictions on abortion are now seeing an increase 
in the number of births. The findings are from the Institute of Labor Economics. According to the group, since the overturning of Roe in June 2022, approximately 32,000 more babies have been born in states that enacted some form of abortion ban. It is a rise of 2.3 percent. We go now to Prince Robertson, host of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Prince, always great to have you on. A lot to discuss, but first, I want to get your reaction to the findings uh, regarding the 32,000 more babies being born in those places that enacted some sort of abortion ban after Dobbs. Yes, well, Tracy, it seems like these pro-life laws are having the desired effect. It's no surprise that in very pro-life states like Texas and Mississippi, we're seeing a rise in births hovering at about 5 percent. And in terms of the demographic, the women that this is impacting, Hispanic women experienced an increase in births by about 4%. And so obviously this is to be celebrated. Lives are being saved. But we have to remember just last month, a study from the Society of Family Planning showed that in states where abortion has been allowed to continue since the overturn of Roe, abortion has steadily increased in those states. And so we have to really realize that what's happening here is federalism playing out, right? The Dobbs decision, its intent was to put this matter back in the hands of states. And you're seeing the birth rates in both pro-life and pro-abortion states affected, um, you know, based based on that decision. And I also know there's some new news uh, out of Arkansas. Uh, can you tell us what's going on there in terms of potential ballot initiatives? Yes, a pro-abortion group has introduced language, surprisingly, in the pro-life state of Arkansas. Um, the language that they proposed would allow for late-term abortions up to as, as late as 18 weeks old. And, you know, this is a very pro-life state. The attorney general rejected the first iteration of this amendment. They seem to be trying to stop it, pro-life leadership in Arkansas. But that's not going to stop pro-abortion groups from attempting to advance their agenda. They're not going to go away quietly. So it's important that we continue to track these ballot initiatives that are popping up nationwide. I, I want to switch gears here, Prudence. I want to talk about Argentina's uh, president-elect, Javier Mille, uh, and his stance on life and what that means for the pro-life movement in that country. I mean, some may remember back in 2020, uh, they legalized abortion until the first 14 weeks of pregnancy. Prior to that, it was only permitted in cases of rape and incest or, or when a mother's life was in danger. That's right. And Argentina is now one of three states in South America that allow for abortions. They join Colombia and Mexico with these abortion policies. But pro-lifers are hopeful in Argentina with the election of Javier Malay and his vice president, uh, the president now, Javier Malay said in an interview before his election that he believes life begins at conception and that he'll do what he can to do away with current law that allows for abortion. And his vice president uh, is in favor of uh, ending abortion as well, echoes his sentiments on that, and is also committed to changing laws that currently allow for same-sex marriage um, in Argentina. So it'll be interesting to see how much uh, these two come through, their administration for pro-lifers in Argentina. But it certainly seems like the tides are turning in a positive way for the unborn and pro-life Argentinians. Yeah, we're going to follow that for sure. Prudence, I'm curious, what other pro-life stories are you following now? Well, there's lots of international updates that we have for you on this week's episode of Pro-Life Weekly. Uh, Brazil could potentially um, join Argentina and other South American countries in 
decriminalizing abortion. We're tracking that very closely. Um, and we also have an interesting report from India that really exposes that country as a hotbed for the production of dangerous chemical abortion pills. This is hurting women not just in India and the U.S., but across the globe. So if people are interested in learning more about that, I encourage them to tune into our show, Pro-Life Weekly, this week. Always looking forward to it, Prince. Great to have you on, as always. Always appreciate it. Thanks, Tracy. On finally tonight, the Celtic Football Club of Scotland, a team founded by a Catholic religious brother back in the 1880s, received coaching and some advice today from an unlikely source, Pope Francis. La vittoria è tutto il percorso del gioco insieme, del gioco di squadra. At a private meeting with players and coaches, Pope Francis emphasized that setting a good example on and off the field is more important than winning. The Holy Father also reflected on the club's origins. Celtic was founded by a Marist brother as a way to raise money to feed the poor in Glasgow. The Holy Father also insisted that the most beautiful thing about the sport is playing the game together as a team. Celtic was in Rome for a Champions League match. So cool. Well, Glasgow's green and white lost the game 2 to nothing to Lazio of Rome. But as the Archdiocese of Glasgow notes, spirits were lifted by meeting the Holy Father indeed. Well, we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook X and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.